<sighs> okay, here we go. My guest on this episode is Debbie Potts. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner, a DNA fit coach, a metabolic efficiency specialist, Czech HLC coach, Keon and superhuman coach, USAT coach, and NASMCPT. So yeah, Debbie is a leading fitness professional and has been for over 25 years. She used to train and race a lot, frankly, in long-distance events as a runner, a cyclist, and a triathlete. But these days, through her holistic method, she focuses on the whole you, from inside out. And in this episode of Second Wind Fitness, we get into her story of burnout and injury and how her training has evolved. My name is Brock Armstrong. Welcome to Second Wind Fitness. But before we get started... As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But... If you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest device, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. So I can't remember exactly, I guess the very first time that we met face-to-face -face anyway was 2011 in Spokane, Washington at the Superhuman, was it just called Superhuman Conference or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's that little picture I just sent you that I couldn't expand. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's unfortunate that we're so tiny in that picture. I but. know. It's like back in the day when you didn't have iCloud pictures to expand them, but yeah, all of our... Our phones only took like one megapixel instead of oh, 25 million or something. Yeah, it was probably a BlackBerry phone. <laughs> probably. But anyway, so it's been at least 10 years, probably more like mm -hmm. 11 or 12 since we actually met. And at that time, both of us were racing pretty darn hard. You'd done, I can't, I don't even know how many times you'd done the Ironman World Championships. You'd done Boston Marathon. You'd done, you should tell me which races you'd done. At that point, you were a prolific racer though, weren't you? Back in the day, yes, I would do, I did 15 Ironmans. I did five. 15. Yeah. Five Hawaii Ironmans. I qualified for five. And then I, I don't know how many marathons and I did Boston multiple times. You know, after a while, like, oh, you know, same with Ironman Hawaii. I don't need to do it. I'll do it next year. Not knowing, <laughs> not knowing my future, what it would bring me, but because you get tired of, you know, every year, same old boss marathon, the process. And I always love New York mar marathon and yeah. trail runs. Um, well, that was fun, but it's exhausting at the same time. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. Uh, and it's funny, the fun for a while, I think, will sustain you. It, 
since it's not, we weren't professionals, we weren't getting paid to be there, sometimes getting some sponsorship and stuff to be there, but the fun will sustain you for a while. But yeah, the, the fatigue does catch up with you. And you were also coaching a bunch of people at that time as well, weren't you? Yeah, it's funny. Now that I live here North San Diego, we had Carlsbad, California half marathon last weekend. And I trained people for that about 15 different years that came over here or down here because it's in January time when you want to get out of Seattle. And I coached groups of people to do the half and the full. But yeah, I'd coach people do the triathlons, marathons and, you know, shorter races. So it was always what I would do on top of everything else. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, suffice to say that uh, you were more hardcore than me even at that point. And the and the two of us, I think, well, at that point, we were late in our late 30s and, yeah. and into early 40s. Now we both turned 50. I know <laughs> you don't like to say that word, but just for, for uh, complete uh, transparency here, we both turned 50 this year. And things have really changed, I think, for, well, I know for both of us in terms of the way that we train and in just our mindset around fitness. And that's what I really want to get into. But I think it wouldn't be right to tell your story without really talking about how you how you progressed through that because you were you were doing these races and you were dominating these races you were feeling really good having a really good time but something really changed for you and i mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be interesting for the audience to hear what how that went sure well i went from racing ironmans and well, off season, I would do 50k trail runs and marathons. <laughs> That's and, not an off season. <laughs> I know that was part part of the issue, probably. That I would do Ironmans and do Ironman Hawaii. You have to qualify for it, so you end up doing two Ironmans a year. Mm-hmm. And then I would do other races because you have to have smaller triathlons to prepare for the full. So you do other halves, and so I did long distance racing. 2001, I started about 2000. 12, 2013, about March, I realized something was seriously wrong with me. I went... (laughs) You don't mean the metaphorical, there's something wrong with me. (laughs) Actually, something wrong with me. I was tired. I was usually really strong cyclist. And I just, you know, had a a great race in Ironman Canada in 2012. And then Ironman Hawaii and did a a off-season marathon and all this other stuff, but I was feeling good. And then suddenly I was exhausted and it was around then we had the superhuman coach conference and we were speaking about heart rate variability and cold thermogenesis and all this stuff that I realized, Oh, adrenal fatigue. We're talking about it. Like Mm. That's, that's me. (laughs) That's what I'm experiencing. Some (laughs) fatigue going on. And I realized all that stuff that we were learning with Ben Greenfield's Superhuman Coach program the two years prior to that, I was realizing that was what was going on with my body. And so it was about March or so, I started to feel tired, have to skip workouts, take naps. I couldn't sleep at night. It was a typical thing you'll hear about people with adrenal exhaustion that they'll wake up at two in the morning wide awake, ready to go start their day. That's so paradoxical. That's so weird. Like you're, you're fatigued, but you can't sleep. Like our our biology reacts in such weird ways. Yeah. I know it's, it is crazy. And it's like all these red flags. I know now what they were, but that, you know, your body is telling you to slow down. And I think for so many years I would ignore them and 
I think so many athletes are type A driven, ambitious. We push through those and feel like if I don't follow through with my workout as scheduled and stick with my training schedule, my race schedule, that I'm not worthy or I'm a wimp or I'm not successful. I'm a failure. So we push through that fatigue. I just need to try harder. That's the solution. Yeah. So I think it's like, it's not like I woke up one night, one day and had this fatigue and suddenly I had 30 pounds of fat weight. I gained by that June, 2013, I was 30 pounds heavier than I was that year. And I did nothing different with my exercise or my nutrition. And that led me to tell people you could be doing all the right things, but still create this metabolic chaos inside your body and have all this imbalances and look like you're you're fat and out of shape. And I was, I looked like I was just sitting eating donuts and eating garbage on the sofa all day long. (laughs) Now I'm laughing because I, I, I knew you at that time. You did not look like that, but I can tell, I, I know coming from my dance background that we do sort of get to a point where we just appreciate our bodies or I guess, I guess judge our bodies is the, is the right word in such a particular way that even those small changes really feel like they're, they're much larger than that. It's a, it's an unfortunate byproduct. But now one of the reasons that I wanted you to set the stage so well about how much work you were doing and how many races you were doing and how your off season involved ultra marathons, basically, which for anyone who's listening out there, that is not what you do in off season, <laughs> you know, or not what you're supposed to do is supposed to be yeah. off the yeah. words right in there. And do you find that, that people who aren't necessarily that dedicated and aren't doing those kinds of overboard kind of activities, do they have these same sort of problems that you're describing as well? Or do you really have to be beating yourself up the way you were? Well, I'm find it somewhat related to genetics because I looked at like why I see all these other people doing the same schedule. I even know some top Ironman athletes that were on my Mark Allen team I was on. They're still racing every year and mm. doing cycling racing all winter. I'm like, how do they get to do all that and not burn themselves out like I did? And I wonder, okay, look at my genetic profile, how I deal with stress. If stress is going to accumulate, I'm going to have more challenges with it than other people. Mm. But also my day job was a part yeah. of it. I mean, I was running my own fitness studio for 10 years, thankfully closed it right before COVID started. And I was teaching classes. I was doing all the business stuff. I was doing a lot of exercise that was not intentionally exercise that I didn't actually count as a workout, but you're doing Debbie demos, I'd say, like show mm-hmm. an exercise here and there to a client and teaching group class that you're always kind of showing and moving And, you know, you're still not sitting at a desk. So it's (laughs) accumulation of so much stuff. But for me, it's accumulation of stressors that are in our environment, our lifestyle, our habits. Exercising a lot was part of it, but also the chronic stress of financials, of running my studio and trying to Mm. pay rent every month and be successful and do the marketing and do all that stuff. So Yes, I overtrained and did too many races and did too much long distance stuff, but also I was living life as a race, as I say. Yeah, as your book says. Yeah. And I've referenced your book on a, on an episode not that long ago, so I've brought it up before, Great. and now we've got the author here to talk about exactly <laughs> that. And I do, I really want to reinforce what Debbie just said too. It's so important 
that we don't separate what we consider, what we've labeled or what society has labeled a workout from the rest of our lives. Like in your case, your rest of your life were actually workouts, but you brought up like finances, you brought up family and relationships and things. Those all factor in. We can't just sort of silo things and say, well, I didn't really work out that much. So why am I so tired? Everything factors in, doesn't it? It does. And that's what I think when I'm coaching clients now is look at all your stressors, you know, look at your family relationships, look at how your sleep hygiene routine is at at nighttime and how's your recovery modalities. What are you doing to make yourself feel better? And a lot of it is paying attention to our breathing and pay attention to how we start our day and, and our gratitude at nighttime. And there's so much more to it than just exercising. And I, you know, I always find people that do say CrossFit and long distance exercise or whatever workouts, they need to do more yoga. And I always thought the yoga people need to do more the CrossFit and meet in the middle, but we always are doing too much of anything and that will cause issues as well. Yeah. Interesting that you brought up genetics. There was recently Tim O'Donnell, who's one of the the yeah. top Ironmen in the world in his late 30s, I think. I think I put him I around. I think he's 40s now. Is he? Or Is he? Okay. I, I was thinking late 30s, early 40s, but he, there are people, a lot of people his age who are are still doing, and he's still racing as well. I should should say he is back or he's coming back into racing, but he had a massive heart attack, like a, a what they call a widow maker, like the really serious, almost total blockage during a race. Now, this isn't because Tim doesn't take care of himself. Like he's not, like you said, eating bonbons and laying on, on the couch. He's He's eating right. He's training hard, but probably smart. This was just one of those examples of genetics can really make a, a big difference. And and hopefully he has taken that to heart and is really training in a in a different way. And I, I don't know him well, but I've had a couple of conversations with him. He seems like a smart guy. So I think he's probably motivated now to protect himself and his two children and his wife from being without him because he races too hard. But it is a really interesting thing. So DNA and our genetics is a really hot topic these days. And I remember like 10 years ago when it first started, I was very skeptical mm-hmm. about any information that we could get from it. But it's really, I think in the last 10 years, it has really blossomed. So how do you use that information now to to help yourself and the people you coach? Well, for myself, I, I don't know how many years ago, five years ago, the DNA Fit report started and I got into mm. looking at that because 23andMe, I did, and you just get the basic stuff, but what I find suggest- out how much Neanderthal you have. Yeah, in I know. And I was like, I'm not using any of that information. I don't need to search for my long lost relatives that are, you know, not even related to me. But I think the, what I found the benefit for me is looking at my genetics towards exercise as the DNA fit report. Now there's, you know, 10 other plus different programs. You can find your exercise genetics. So something as the, similar to that, that the reports I got, I was 73% power athlete mm-hmm. and I did endurance exercise forever. You know, that's what I started doing and felt comfortable with when I first did this like three day bike ride, my first bike ride in Seattle to Portland bike ride. I just always felt good doing distance training. So it doesn't mean 
that you can't do distance if I'm a, a more higher percentage of a power athlete, but it's how I train. And I'm always curious to research if I created more stress in my body doing all that chronic cardio, so to speak, long distance, Ironman, triathlon, distance type of exercise, when my body probably would have done better doing shorter workouts with more intervals versus the two, three hour stuff, even though that was comfortable for me in my happy place, but was that causing more harm than good? Now, what Debbie's referring to is they've sort of narrowed down our genetics to being predisposed, not only disposed, but predisposed to be either a power athlete, a strength athlete, or a endurance athlete, or just have those types of muscle fibers that lend themselves better to that. And, you know, I don't know how many endurance athletes I've talked to, like Brad Kearns is one, Mark Sisson is one, you, I've, we all had the same result of our genetics came back saying, Hey, you'd be really, <laughs> you'd be really uh, smart to, or you'd be better at doing a power sport or a strength mm-hmm. sport. And all of us were doing these endurance sports. So it's interesting that we can find that information out. We all obviously like some people were more successful. Like Brad Kearns was one of the top athletes or triathletes for like 10 years. So he obviously overcame that genetic disposition but you're right. Like if we knew that information and we tailored at least our training program to favor that in our endurance training, I wonder how much better we could have performed or at least how much misery we could have <laughs> avoided. Well, think of Brad's sports. Are, he did more shorter distance, so more sprint and Olympic try. He didn't really do a long, I, maybe he did one Ironman, I forget. Yeah, he did some, but not But not he did more shorter stuff. And then- we all did long distance stuff. We all had HP axis dysfunction, <laughs> adrenal exhaustion at some level. I think everyone struggled with some type of adrenal imbalance. And it's funny because like how many people that should be doing different type of training instead of like my training schedule, no offense to my coach because it's excellent training program. I did well in Ironmans, but it was you know, doing seven hour bike rides was my longest ride on a weekend. And then the next day would be a three hour run and then you'd be doing bricks. And then, but weekdays I'd be doing half that distance. So my longest bike ride got up to three and a half hours on a weekday. And my longest run was hour 45 on a weekday. So, you know, you're doing four workouts per swim, bike and run. That's a lot of exercise. So nowadays I would, I would totally switch that up and do it differently. If I was training for an Ironman again, I would do a little different approach. Would you train for an Ironman again? <laughs> no, I <laughs> always think about it. You know, I signed up for Ironman Canada, whatever, before COVID started. And cause it was in Penticton and my old stomping mm. grounds of where I did well in Ironman cause I'm good on the Hills. And then I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I totally screwed my body up. I've been spending eight years trying to fix it. And why would I do that now? So it's always tempting. And, you know, I like to go watch Ironman Hawaii. And I'm like, my body, you just watch people. (laughs) It's not good for our bodies, but it's so exciting. You get sucked into that energy. But for me, I even a half seems long. You know, doing a half marathon last weekend, like, how did I ever do a full marathon? It was so easy for me, but no. If I do, tell me no, Debbie. You just said no. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll take that little snippet and make it your, your ringtone. Uh, yeah, I don't, I can't remember the last time I ran more than five kilometers in one, in one sitting. Like just 
because that's what feels good. And I have that amount of time easily slotted into my day and then I'm ready to to move on. But if you told me 10 years ago that that was my workout, I would have been flabbergasted like that is not nearly enough. But so it sounds like, and and I know I'm just sort of leading you into into this topic, you have really dialed back your workouts, but you've also just gotten really smarter about the way that you approach your workouts. And I think that's that's really what I want to get into in this episode. But before we do that, I'm just going to take a quick break and pay our membership fees. <laughs> that's what I call putting our <laughs> advertising in. Do you like to shop on Amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. So, okay, what are you doing in your fitness life now that 10 years ago you would have shook your head at and, and not even believed it was possible to stay fit doing this? Well, I must say I still train, but I don't race. So I do swim, bike, and run every week. Mm-hmm. But I do, because I am near Solana Beach, I go swimming in an outdoor pool at lunchtime, so it's a little more appealing. So I do swimming, but I don't push myself as much. I, I do harder workouts, but more intervals and take more rest is what I do for each exercise. So swimming, mm-hmm. biking, and running, I still do them all. But swimming, I'll try to do more work on speed because I'm not very fast. <laughs> so I, try to, I know it's better for me to do sprints as we get older. So I think the difference is swimming now. Before it was like you got to swim because you're training for a race. Now it's I enjoy it. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm fortunately it's you know, you look up at the sky when you're swimming it's kind of fun when you're doing backstroke like I was thinking the other day how are clouds formed like that? You know, just <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just my mindset so more chill and it's my I go swimming cuz it's my social break. Now I'm coaching clients and working on a computer all day. Instead of being in a fitness industry with people around me, like I'm sure a lot of people's lives are a little different now. So swimming is more my social breaks. I go for the fun and it's not really a workout to me, <laughs> but it's more therapy. Mm. I do run in the morning, but I do it differently that it's funny because you're saying, you know, just going out for a 5k, we'll go run. And it's interesting mindset. Even my husband will say like, we'll go an hour And like, why don't we just go 45 minutes? Less is more is my new theory. It's like Mm. always, you know, what is an hour going to do than 45 minutes? And so the way I run nowadays, based on my health and what my body says, my aura scores, my genetics, I like to do more intervals towards the end. So I'll just do a short run and then my turnaround might do like a run and then walk a minute and then run. Mm. And that feels better. And I'm not tanked afterwards. It's more like how I wake up and start the day, you know, with a sunrise and I'm energized. So that's just getting out in fresh air. Like this morning we went for 
a trail run out our house and I could walk. Like, you know, I don't feel good. My aura score was bad. I didn't have a good sleep last night. So I honored that. And I, I think a lot of people get these aura rings or root beyonds to track their recovery readiness. Yeah. And I was saying, what good is it if I don't pay attention to my score was way down that people will still go and do their normal workout. So for me now, it's like, all right, my score is bad. My temperature, HRV was down and I had bad sleep. So I'm going to go for a hike instead of run. And then I did ran, run a little bit, but it was easy. I wasn't worried about, I got to go a certain pace and track all that. Now I don't even look at my watch. I don't even look at my pace. I'm just go by how I feel that day and then just enjoy being outside and getting some movement. Again, now that almost sounds paradoxical too, that you you rely on a device to tell you how your sleep and your recovery is, but then you, you don't rely on a device for when you're actually out on the run. How do you decide which devices you're going gonna to trust at this point? Well, I go by how I feel. Usually it's always right because I just, it's funny, I look at it. It's more I use my aura ring to look at my deep sleep and my RAM. We should see. explain. So your oh. the aura ring when you wake up in the morning, what does it tell you? So an aura ring tracks my sleep. So you wear the ring and it, it it's like a Fitbit does it, but it's on your finger or whoop band is a wristband people can track. Yeah. Their sleep, their REM sleep and their deep sleep is what I look at. And so what I do before bed or how I start my day will impact my sleep. So I'm all about getting the best sleep possible. It's a big priority for myself. So I use that score more and see how I slept, but my recovery is more looking at my heart rate variability score. And so okay. I'll take that in consideration. Is that like we were going for a trail run today? Should I just walk it or should I run walk and push myself past that? Okay. So heart rate variability. Now that's the, that's the distance between each one of your heartbeats. So let's say your heart rate is just for ease is 60 beats per minute. So that you'd expect your heart to be metronomic and be one per second. But if it is one per second, exactly, then that shows that there's some problems with your nervous system. We actually want our heart to be like, more like jazz rather than than pop music, I guess. So what Debbie's talking about is waking up in the morning and seeing that HRV reading being high, showing that her nervous system is actually doing what it's supposed to do or acting the way it's supposed to. Do you know that that actually came from premature babies? They measured heart rate variability on, on premature babies to see how their nervous system was. And that's where it was sort of pioneered. I, think I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah, it's really cool that it's come from premature babies it, all the way up to like NBA stars are using yeah. it. So there's a word that I keep, I was thinking of this today and I, I keep, you just said it, it's variability, yeah. heart rate variability, but it's variability, flexibility. I think that kind of comes down to how I see exercise now and, and eating and everything in life is having variety mm. and switching it up and not being stuck following a routine, listening to your body and how you feel that day. And that will kind of dictate, well, you just kind of have, you can't really fake running. If you're tired, you're not, <laughs> it's hard to run when you feel yeah. horrible. And I think it's just looking at varying our workouts as we should everything else, like our strength training routine. I, I mix that up. And that's the other part of my day that I do as well as I, I think, 
you know, answer your question is I'm lifting a lot more weights than I used to because that's more oh, yeah. important than the cardio. And you should and- see Debbie's back. It is evident that you've been lifting <laughs> some weights. I saw some pictures on Instagram with like, damn girl. That was for my birthday. I was working on my five zero workout and you know, I've been working at it since June, since we joined the club again, <clears throat> working out at a gym, you can lift heavier weights. But that's another topic is I started looking at my genetics, how my body's going to respond more. So I'll do like five, six repetitions, four or five sets of things, supersetting instead of doing 10, 15 reps of an exercise. So I, as I age up, I'm changing, embracing the aging process, lifting more weights, doing I'm still doing cardio. I can't say I'm doing it, but I do realize cardio isn't necessary for me. It's just enjoyment for me and my happy spot to go for a long bike ride and going outside for a run or hike. But lifting weights and movement and mobility is more important as I age than doing chronic cardio to get health benefits. I want to highlight what you just said, that you're embracing aging and changing your workouts because you know it's going to benefit you better, not feeling bad about aging and changing your workouts because you can't handle what you used to be able to do and woe is me and stuff, which I think is the more predominant message out there is like, oh, I have to take more rests because I'm old and I can't race as much because I'm old. And it's like, no, yeah, we've aged, but we can embrace that and also embrace the, the way that we can train to well, set us up. I, uh, Tim Wagner was on the podcast a little while ago, Lucho from Endurance oh. Planet. And he was talking about his focus is about being durable. And I really like that word. Yeah. I'm going to throw in, so using variability to become more durable. I, I <laughs> like those that combination that we've sort of brought together on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. I think one of the biggest pet peeves I've had over years, maybe working as a personal trainer for most of my life, that people would blame the aging process. And I hate it as a trainer because I can't do that because I'm too old or I'm getting older. I can't do that. And that's always been big, like, oh, don't see that. (laughs) Drives me nuts. So I've come to think about as embracing the aging process and change with it. It's not that you can't do something. We should just approach it from a different way, like doing shorter workouts, doing more intervals, focusing on lifting heavier things, getting outside movement throughout the day. Like I did my leg workout last night. It was all mobility drills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was more Pilates yoga kind of strengthening, but I can't, you know, my, I'm so tight in my hips. I'm like, I'm not going to do strength training for that. I just, my body just needs more movement training, mobility drills. So I think it's just not thinking you're being pathetic or (laughs) being a lazy person that you're like wimping out because I'm going to go do mobility workout instead of doing box jumps and weighted squats and lunges with a barbell. So it's just so different. I think it's not better or worse. Yeah. It's just different. different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's what your body needs. And that's the, that should always be the most important thing is looking at what your body needs. Uh, getting back to that sort of variability thing when you were talking about how you really pay attention how your body is reacting to things, how it's feeling in the day, changing up the workouts and stuff, it, it made me sort of think about the the sarcastic question that popped into my head was, but Debbie, aren't we supposed to look for the perfect workout and then or the perfect diet or the perfect whatever and do that for the rest of our lives? I, it sounds like you don't believe in finding the perfect thing anymore. 
No, I think it changes all the time, you know, quarterly, monthly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's always different. And it's wintertime when we're recording this. So I'm, it's not, the sun goes down at five (laughs) o'clock. So I go to the gym at 530 and lift weights versus in the summertime, I'm going to be outside playing in our yard or going for a walk or enjoying the longer sunshine hours of the day. So you know, I, I'm always having that variety going by the seasons. And that goes with like how I eat, how I train and my schedule. And I sleep more too. You know, you go to bed, it gets dark early. You're like, okay, it's eight o'clock time to go to bed. <laughs> so I think it's just changing all the time. It's good. Yeah. I, and I've been going to bed earlier and earlier. I thought it seemed to found 10 o'clock is kind of my, my magic <sighs> time to, to go to bed, but you know, sometimes nine is the perfect time to go to bed too, isn't it? I go to bed at eight, but I get up at five, sometimes 4.30 lately. Mm. And my alarm, we don't have a beauty of our new life is we don't have to get up a certain time. It's just to go work out and do some yoga or something and have a few sips of coffee before I go for my workout. But I, I find my natural body clock has always been bed early and wake up early. It's just mm. my circadian rhythm, but yeah. Well, and that's so important too, to, to just embrace, like to figure out what's right for you. And again, shun society saying like that going to bed at eight is ridiculously early unless you're a toddler or something and just like, well, works for me. So screw you all. I'm doing what, what works for me in the same way. Those people who like my sister is very productive at like 10 PM, she will do some of her best work where I'm a complete idiot at 10 PM. Yeah. So then she can, she doesn't usually because she has two young kids, but let's say if she was able to sleep in till 11, I think society would judge her as being lazy and not much of a go-getter because we put virtue in in getting up early and sort of slothiness in in sleeping in late. So I like that you've, you don't worry about people judging you for going to bed at 8 p.m. <laughs> well, you know, going with that, I think that's what's the best time of day to exercise? <laughs> it's when you're going to do it. And yeah. yeah, it's just get up and do fasted exercise. If you go out for a walk or something low heart rate, and then whenever you want to eat. But I think it's, you know, for me, lifting weights is when it can fit at my schedule is at 530. I ideally would go at three o'clock or do a harder workout three o'clock, but I'm still working. And you know, morning, it just, I like to get up and get outside or else I'm a zombie. I don't wake up until I start exercising. So even if it's a walk outside. So I think it's figuring out your sleep schedule. What, when is the best time of day? Like, yeah, morning time working for me. I'm on it. After five, six o'clock, my brain does not function (laughs) and I just need a break. So my workout is my brain break. And that's when I can all always think of things. It's actually how I wrote my book, Life is Not a Race. I went for a little easy bike rides and I just was in my own head space and, you know, solving all my areas of opportunity that you could just let your mind think. So I think it's figuring out for people trying to exercise is best time of day to do everything that you'll fit it in that becomes your habit and when it makes you feel the best. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome tip. And I was about to actually lead into just I like to finish up the episodes with getting some some tips from my guests. And I think that's probably let's count that as the the first one is just to pay attention to to your own rhythms and figure out like not only your sleep, but when is best for you to do your workouts if you're going to exercise or when you're going to go for your walk or work in the garden or whatever, whatever yeah. your 
movement activity is for the day. I think that's important because I was doing a class last winter time. It was started at six, went till 7 p.m. And it was more high intensity intervals. And it, my sleep was just a mess that night. We only went Wednesday nights. So I knew that is not good for me. That type of workout's great if it's a couple hours earlier. So I think it's figuring out, you know, what workouts, if you like a class or private time by yourself, you know, something that works for you is important, but not messing with my sleep. <laughs> All right. So what kind of tip would you give the audience, like something that they can pay attention to starting right away to avoid any of the pitfalls that you sort of experienced in your, well, eight years ago when things really mm -hmm. started to go off the rails? It's funny because I'm just finally talking about all this now, even though I, gosh, that was eight years ago. I think yeah. I've been dealing with it. And, and thanks for our last two years, our world events, that I realized I had to change my whole life schedule to find happiness. I didn't realize I wasn't happy until I moved away from my schedule. I was doing it. So I think sometimes you have to step away to figure out, am I doing my workouts or my schedule? Is it making me happy? and thrive every day instead of surviving. And yes, my my exhaustion stuff happened 2013 and now it's 2022, but it took me that long to realize it was my responsibility to take ownership of my health and figure out what makes Debbie happy and mm. have energy. And so it was getting rid of my job that I was doing that's constant stress and my busy schedule that was just 4.30 in the morning till 7 at night that it was hard. So I think, you know, red flags would be to answer your question would be, you know, are you doing too much during the day? Are you scheduling yourself mini self break, self care breaks? As I told clients, breakfast, lunch, dinner doesn't necessarily mean eat. It means that's when you should get outside and go for a walk around the driveway or the block and get outside. So I think finding some self care breaks is really important. So not just getting our strength training in and going for your cardio workouts a few days a week, but taking care of yourself during the day by getting some fresh air, taking those movement breaks, because it's easy to just be doing too much in, in the day and being addicted to busyness and wear yourself out mm. that way. Yeah. I remember I heard Rob Wolf, who's a, a very popular paleo writer and, um, and lecturer say at one point that no one has, until you have your sleep and your stress sorted out, you should not, you, there's, you have no business starting a fitness program. Mm -hmm. I just recorded an interview with him and I just let, I'm like, oh my God, you get it. You know, it was so fun talking to him because that's what I realized. You can't, you know, not talking about nutrition and everything, but just to be healthy, you have to manage your stress. And my program I created years ago, the holistic method to be fit and healthy was nutrition, is nutrition and exercise, but also sleep stress management, movement throughout the day, digestion, gut health, hydration, and happiness, play laughter is eight, the eight elements to really be fit and healthy. And I think for years, because I was, you know, background as a trainer and an athlete and a coach that we would just focus on exercise and nutrition. But mm -hmm. all these other elements, I've found myself that I had to pay attention and prioritize those elements just as much as my exercise and my nutrition. But, you know, we forget all the other parts. <laughs> and I want to point out that Debbie just said, manage your stress, not mm -hmm. eliminate, because that would be unrealistic, right? Yes. Like we, we live in a world where there is stress. Everything that we do is going to cause some amount of stress, but it really is how we react or how we handle or how we manage that stress, right? 
Yeah, and that's why I've been wearing a continuous glucose monitor. And I keep trying to share this on my podcast that it's not necessarily what I eat that raises my blood sugar. Every Mm. stress response is a blood sugar response because I'm going to run from that lion, tiger, bear that my glucose goes up. So if I'm in traffic and someone's driving super slow out on the road and, you know, one lane road, my glucose can go up. So if I can change that and learn how to manage that stress, like, okay, I'm, I'm stressing out. I'm not paying attention to my breath work and just, you know, stop, pause and breathe. But yeah, stress is all the time. And if you tend to be that type A driven personality in all areas of life, stress is always something I have to work on and manage. Like even the dishes on the counter this morning, ah, I got to get ready for a call (laughs) at nine. I hate dishes on the counter. And Neil was like, cool down. And, you know, it's just things like that, that just, you're setting off fires. So I think we have to realize that personality that you have to breathe. (laughs) That is awesome. I think we have our, our three tips to. Do you want to to summarize them? I kind of rambled, but one, two, and three, what are the three? (laughs) Well, the last one was, of course, like stress management, not yes. making this unrealistic goal of trying to eliminate stress, but just learning to manage it, learning to recognize it. And maybe that means using something like a glucose monitor, which most of us wouldn't think of. That's a really interesting use of a technology that's really for diabetics, but it's a, a really interesting thing. Maybe we'll have another episode where we dive into that more. Um, and we talked about the uh, just the variability of of life and and keeping things open. And oh no, what was the second one? Sleep is important. To red flags to notice, you know, taking time right. out during yeah. the day and knowing. I think it's all stress related. <laughs> that you have to know when to stop, pause, and reset. Take a little break. Get outside and get some fresh air when you feel you're stressed and you're doing too much. But those are all red flags and they all come to different sources of stressors or how we deal with stress. And, you know, that will help your sleep and that will help what your food choices are and how your exercise is going to be. And, you know, if it, stress will impact all areas of yourself, your health. So I think it's an important part to focus on. It's true. It's very true. Thank you so much, Debbie. Where is the one place that people should remember to go and find out more about you, find your book, find your podcast, your coaching, everything? Well, thanks for asking. It's <laughs> DebbiePotts.net. P-O-T-T-S. Yeah, Pots and Pans, P-O-T-T-S. And podcast is Low Carb Athlete Podcast. And yeah, everything's on my website. So you can find it there and on Instagram, Facebook. And your book is available athlete. on Amazon, Amazon and everywhere yeah. else. Life is not a race. It yeah, is a journey. A- <laughs> It is a journey. It's so important. You, every once in a while, you pop onto my Instagram when I'm out on a on a paddleboard or something, and and remind me of that phrase. I'm like, yeah, it is. You don't always have to. If I'm on the paddleboard, I don't have to be paddling super hard all the time. Sometimes just laying back on it and watching the waves is exactly what you need. See, you can look at the like clouds. Like I was doing swimming on my doing backstroke, like. How is that cloud really formed? And like I go walk on the beach now, and how does the t- high tide and low tide work? And right, and how so you know confusing. the full moon? If full moon, well, the magnet of the moon to the earth and the ocean is just crazy. You start looking at things differently. <laughs> yeah, 
I go down for my morning swim. It was uh, about six degrees Celsius in the water this morning. So I'm constantly distracting myself by like, what kind of bird is that? What's going on with the the ferry? What's what's hiding in the fog that's going <laughs> to pop out any second? It's a, a good way to get through your cold immersion, just distracting yourself yeah, with nature and you. thinking those big thoughts. <laughs> yes. Way to go. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the Second Wind Fitness Podcast. I think people will really uh, resonate with a lot of the stuff that you said. And even if you're not a super duper crazy hard charging athlete like Debbie was, I think that there's some real lessons to be learned from what you went through. And I'm glad you're here to share it with us. Yes. Less is more. Remember, more is not always better. Less is more. <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you.